Hello, welcome to the Moontime Munchies podcast. I am your host, Morgan Daly, and today's episode is my journey with ADHD, so let's dive right in. When I was young, I was falsely diagnosed with many things as a manipulated means for me to be the problem that my family didn't want to face within themselves. I won't go into details because I don't owe an explanation to anyone. I've made peace with it, and I deserve to not relive the bad when I've already healed from it. But in that work, however, I have learned many things about human psychology and my mind in particular that I feel called to share as a means of both creating a safe space for people and making helpful knowledge more accessible. I mentioned my false diagnoses because as I began working with a doctor of sound mind, well-educated, compassionate, who actually enjoyed her work, who had no means of being manipulated by my family, who specialized in what I need specifically and genuinely cared about me, all seven traits that were almost never met in the dozens of professionals that I had worked with before. And if you are strictly listening, I intended that with quotes. Um, She told me several years in that the only diagnosis that she gave in my chart was PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder with subsequent and temporary anxiety and depression because of it, both of which I was well on my way to recovering from. I've mentioned this in other episodes, but I find it necessary to note that at one point she estimated my progress in the seven years I had worked with her as the average person's progress in 30 years because I had to sacrifice all other aspects of my life to rebuild a firm foundation when I was a child. To not have to sacrifice my well-being or best interest as my family had chose to do. I would read, observe my own mind and behaviors, write out my thoughts, modify repeatedly with discipline and have patience with how I felt and how long things took. I accepted each new layer that arose to be healed despite how desperately I wanted to move on. It was every day, dedication and discipline, but I would not be a functioning member of society, never mind somebody who was sure of who they were and what they loved if it was not for this work, similar to the crumbling of the societal structures that no longer serve a purpose for us, I was the point in my bloodlines where it had to end. I chose this life because I could handle the pain and the overwhelming burden of work that it would take to heal this generational trauma. I say this because the next chapter of my life is about sharing what I know, about making space for people to be authentic to themselves and feel what they do, to guide people in healing and evolution, to inspire others through art. In this, I feel the need to disclaim that just how much work it took to get to this point and how exactly I've In one of my last sessions with this therapist before I moved over two years ago, I mentioned how I believe myself to actually have ADHD, which was my first diagnosis and the only one that was more about executive function than the more emotional mind diagnoses. It made sense. I had a very similar thought process in problem solving and even the same high IQ as my father's side of the family. Overall, the cognitive functioning of my brain was very similar to my genetic family of that side, and several of them had it. I also could see quite a few of the signs, not only then, but especially when I was a child and I hadn't learned to mask yet. 
For those of you who don't know, masking is when a neurodivergent hides their behaviors for sensory experience, emotional regulation and processing, or any other symptomatic response of the condition to not be treated as different by neurotypicals. A common example is we find socially acceptable ways to stim for emotional regulation. Stimming are little movements and gestures that help processing big emotions. A lot of us have learned to tap, bounce our leg, play with our jewelry, or sway, though it may be more natural for us to sing, dance, run around, or shake our limbs. I personally had trauma rooted in the idea of earning acceptance and love and not being fundamentally worthy of either. That paired with my behaviors and intentions constantly being manipulated to further prove that I was the problem that needed fixing, I learned to modify all of my natural behaviors. I chose how I walked, what I wore, my posture, my penmanship, the manner in which I spoke, everything as a means of being good enough for others. I did not fall into most of my behaviors naturally. They are a choice that was made between the identity projected onto me that I didn't want to be, and the person people told me girls who looked like me were in the world. My therapist admitted to writing the same conclusion of ADHD in my record long before I had mentioned it, explaining that we never worked on it because I simply found ways to cope because I had so much trauma to deal with as a kid. Now, I don't want this to be misunderstood, Though I believe there to be no optimally functioning mind and our society was simply built for one kind of functioning that's not compatible with most of the population, which doesn't make us any less than, the diagnosis is still a disorder and it is named as such because it inhibits our means of functioning in the systems that be. There is no sucking it up or simple coping mechanisms. It was simply put on the back burner for me. I would mask, make lists, beat myself up for what I was told was not trying, and then I tried so hard that I had nothing left for myself. I also happened to have too much trauma to address the issue, until now, actually. I mean, like, when I started writing this was late 2021, so... Anyway, after those dedicated seven years, I moved and I spent 2020 and the first half of 2021 continuing my work and came to a point where I could really internalize my self-worth. By mid-2021, I had put it into practice. I was reprogramming self-limiting beliefs and doubts, and I was doing things that made me happy because not only... I not only deserved to be happy, but would be far greater of a service to others than I would conforming and settling out of fear. As I embarked on this new chapter where I was to manifest the things that I have dreamt of since I was a child, that I had to go through my journey to prepare for, as well as having a destiny to heal these bloodlines before fulfilling the next destinies, I came across the first obstacle of the new beginning. I will get into what came up for love and what came up after learning about ADHD in my pursuit of my career in other episodes, but the ADHD that made itself known when I tried to be productive in the terms of a neurotypical taught world, I failed again and again.
this realization led to some of the smoothest work I have ever done because I had been accommodating my mind my whole life. I had just released shame and guilt attachments, and I had spent nearly a decade analyzing the functions of my mind and working with them. I wanted to write an episode on some of the things that I had learned in discovering my ADHD because I understand myself more when I write out my thoughts, and I wanted clear behavior modifications that I could share. The most important rule in any behavior modifications is to go into it without judgment. If you are not ready to be kind and patient with yourself, you are not ready to make a deep and lasting change, and you must do the healing work first. The most obvious thing for me was scheduling and time management. I was still surrounded by unhealed, emotionally abusive, and karmic relationships, They would steal my spoons. Spoons is a term in the neurodivergent community to describe the energy and executive functioning required to do tasks, quite literally our ability to do things. Some people confuse this with, pardon my language, fucks we give, or believe it is how much we care, how much we choose to give to a situation. You do not get a choice with spoons. It's kind of like noodles the pug and whether we're going to have a bones day or a no bones day. It is how much energy and mental clarity you have to carry out your tasks for the day. Similar to vocal budget taught to me in my vocal technique classes. You can exceed the amount that you have, but you will be taking from tomorrow and it's like going into debt. It will cost you far more than just respecting your natural limits. It's also important to note that we have different levels of spoons each and every day. Sometimes we are more tired or more inspired, especially for neurodivergent individuals with a uterus, because those without have all of their hormones restored with each night's sleep to the balance that they were the previous morning. Those biologically female, on the other hand, Um, have a monthly cycle, so we are biologically different every single day. This affects our sleep, our digestion, our focus, our energy stored, our libido, our appetite, everything. As I've explained in another podcast episode, the hustle culture and the mindset of depleting your life source energy for the illusion of safety in the corporate system is deteriorating for many reasons, but I knew that the obsessive schedule I failed to maintain in school would not be sustainable at any point in my life. I tried for quite some time to live aligned with my chi or how our energy flows in the meridian points throughout our body in the course of a day and scheduling certain tasks such as when is best to focus or think, or when to eat and move your body in accordance to that. However, I noticed that I was already living as aligned as my body and mind could naturally. I woke up early, worked out in the mornings, I ate a nourishing breakfast, I prioritized my more difficult and procrastinated tasks to do first, but still, I did not have the same number of spoons each morning, and it was not sustainable. Then, On TikTok, I found a series of videos where somebody simply made a list of rules for each day of the week. Like on Tuesdays, they would do laundry, but on Fridays, get martinis with the girls. (laughs) This was also helpful in the fact that it maintained the tasks that needed to be achieved regularly, but it did not accommodate for unpredictable responsibilities of life and the days that I didn't have the spoons to do any of it. Finally, 
I decided to make 21 different schedules. I broke down each day into two-hour increments of how your chi flows, and I made a list of tasks to do for each day three different times. For example, a high spoons Monday, a medium spoons Monday, and a low spoons Monday. I also allowed for myself to have the freedom from the structure altogether. If I had a hyperfixation or a project that I was working on, or I had a schedule based on a set that I was working on and a cast and crew dependent on me, everything but the necessities would go out the window unless I had the spoons to do more. It was a structure to fall back on when I needed organization, but allowed my mind to be what it was nonetheless. Some mornings I wanted to start with a workout and some I wanted to start with writing, but it was a flexible skeleton of a routine that I needed. Structure enough to hold me accountable, but less rigid for the days that I couldn't do it and I didn't deserve shame because of that. Even with this schedule, which neurotypicals would usually assume to be chaos, every day was different. Also, to define your hyperfixation, it is the extreme focus of a person with ADHD to have on a project they are passionate about where they neglect food, sleep, water, giving our minds a break, or even using the restroom for many. Another tool that made these schedules even more manageable was doing weekly check-ins that I call self-reflection Sundays, along with smaller and less routine check-ins. Before setting goals and scheduling the following week, I will ask myself three questions. What worked? What didn't? And what can I do differently? Between trauma and ADHD, I often do not recall many of the things that my brain deems unimportant. It's actually the reason I started producing the Divine Diaries years before it became a creative outlet or a public show that I have. I keep photos, videos, and a calendar to document the bigger events of each day to help me remember my patterns and behaviors and how to modify them the next week to be more accommodating or more efficient. Staying accountable like this helps you to understand how you are processing mental and emotional tasks and where you may need to have more resources or more rest. All in all, understanding your spoon flow helps you to organize your productivity, stay accountable, and rest as much as you need to with less shame or guilt. When it comes to time management, that can be a tricky obstacle in and of itself as neurodivergence. Many of us have what we have nicknamed time blindness. It can be very challenging for us to sense how much time has passed because our energy and experience of every task varies each day. We are constantly over or under stimulated. The same task can take two minutes one day and 20 minutes the next. So living from the perspective of this disorienting mind with no point of reference, it can be hard to perceive the passing of time, especially when practicing mindfulness or hyperfixation. The default mode network of the brain is the system responsible for the mind wandering or daydreaming and etc. And when a neurotypical has a task to do, they switch functions from this mode to task mode. This creative mind flow state is turned off for them. This is not true for neurodivergence. To give an externalized comparison, 
If a neurotypical has a task to do, they can simply turn off the TV and get to work. A neurodivergent cannot turn off that function of their mind. They can only turn on the task function, but we will still have the default mode on as well. So we are sitting down to begin a task with the climax of our favorite movie playing full volume in the background. We cannot turn that TV off ever. For time management, I find these tips most beneficial. First, clearing a time with no other pressures surrounding it so I do not find myself in waiting mode for any other obligation. Waiting mode is the name for the action paralysis those with ADHD experience when our schedules have a responsibility that requires our attention or mental and emotional bandwidth. To give a common example, if a neurodivergent has a meeting at three, they may have to stop working at around noon and just pretend that they're working or bide their time until that meeting, that presentation, and then stress work to catch up on everything that they missed. My second tip is to romanticize your environment, make it more desirable to push your comfort zone and initiate intimidating tasks by making the experience surrounding, especially sensory-wise, more pleasurable. I try to include candles and cozy blankets, but also snacks and plenty of water or beverages so that I only get up to use the restroom. Otherwise, we can become distracted. Another practice many neurodivergents find helpful along this same idea is setting up a workspace tone, so to speak, Um, having little rituals, habits, or objects that signify different things to their brains. For example, not taking your shoes off until you are done with everything you need to do for the day or having a designated homework hat, accommodating your sensory sensitivity as well as providing yourself with your personal need and desire for sensory stimulation and comforts is a far too often overlooked necessity when it comes to self-care and neurodivergence. Learning what sensory experiences as well as what stimming makes overwhelming tasks and obligations more tolerable is essential to making substantial progress as a neurodivergent in a neurotypical world. My third tip is bargaining, convincing, convincing, whoa, girl, convincing yourself to work out for two minutes or read for 10 minutes is a lot less intimidating than accomplishing your end goal. As I mentioned previously, neurodivergence often see tasks of all difficulty as equal in difficulty to initiate. However, Many of us also have a very all-or-nothing mentality, so even if we have to negotiate with our minds to put one dish away, once the momentum has been made, we almost always finish the task and often start another until we have reached burnout. We are, in a way, triggering our hyperfixation, and many of us have these negotiations in our mind every day, unbeknownst to any neurotypical in our life and even ourselves on our less mindful moments. My fourth tip is timers. I find beautiful Hogwarts study ambiance rooms, snowy study ambiance libraries, rainy videos with countdowns, crystal singing bowls and sound bath audios, subliminals, chants, or instrumentals, all in my likes on my personal YouTube if you'd like to check that out. 
that last anywhere from five minutes to five hours to set the tone for my workspace. This not only keeps track of time, but makes it clear to my subconscious mind that as the space is filled with this imagery and sound, I am to feel calm and focused. Also, being a baby witch with one of my strongest Claire abilities through this lifetime thus far, being my Claire audience, having audios that remind me of my authentic energy while I'm writing and creating, or that reprogram my subconscious to raise my consciousness's uh, frequency are very beneficial when working. But there are times when I need silence too. If I am working for hours, I will often mute the audio but maintain the imagery on my TV or laptop. My fifth tip is rewards. I often find that I make excuses not to reward myself, submitting to self-limiting beliefs of it being frivolous or limiting my acceptance of financial abundance by affirming self-limiting beliefs. But to celebrate even small victories is a sacred act, aligning Action and strength of will are no simple feats, and you deserve to be proud of yourself. And I know a lot of us with empathic tendencies and trauma based on, on service and self-worth can even feel shame and guilt around believing that we are worthy or deserving of appreciation or celebration. It is not selfish or frivolous to appreciate what you do for yourself and others. You cannot hope to feel happy at the completion of a task if you are not happy doing it. And you cannot hope to attract those who will celebrate with you if you do not celebrate yourself. Even for those with ADHD who do not have gift giving as a love language, we have a interest-based nervous system and a motivation system triggered by new stimulus, which means when we get a new blanket, we want to clean our entire rooms before it goes on our beds. Or when we get a new top, we want to do our hair and nails and shave to get the full effect of looking and feeling our best. And we kind of go nuts for new notebooks. <laughs> there should be no shame in what lights you up or excites you. Keep an Amazon or Etsy list of little things you can get yourself if you complete a big task or of those really cool journals you would get yourself to take notes in if you researched that thing. Promise yourself some candy or a phone call with your best friend or some cuddles with your dog if you do what you need to do. Life isn't meant to be one endless to-do list. If you want to feel good about what you do, you need to establish that intention first. A similar hurdle that many with neurodivergencies often have to tackle is the tasks our brain deems as boring, repetitive, and or mundane. This includes doing the dishes or laundry or showering or meditation or cleaning our homes or cooking a meal, among many other tasks that often fall into the categories of self-care or maintenance of self and the home. We can find external inspiration every once in a while, such as stress cleaning our entire apartment because a friend is coming over in an hour, or convincing ourselves to do the maintenance to our bodies required for social acceptance when we'd rather just stay in bed. But these aren't healthy or sustainable solutions. 
I mean, my generation especially could use more social interaction for our mental health as a whole. So if inviting your friend over helps you, by all means, that works for you. But my point lies in the importance of finding systems that allow you to maintain a sense of care and hygiene in your life without shame or guilt or external dependency. Filming the Divine Diaries and getting artsy clips to represent each task that I accomplish in a day had been very helpful on most days for me personally. But little tools such as listening to music in the shower or a podcast while you do the dishes or FaceTiming your friend while you fold the laundry are all really helpful tools that I've used as well. Tip number six, switching from tasks that require cognitive function to ones that don't. I've noticed that many with ADHD that don't have the luxury or discipline, mostly the narrative for our ancestors to learn their minds often choose physical jobs because it seems to be much easier to initiate tasks that don't require cognitive functioning. However, Those with neurodivergencies are the innovators, inventors, entrepreneurs, and change makers of the world and of our history because of the vastly different way we experience our reality. As I've mentioned, it's constantly over or under stimulating. With sensory sensitivity and a mind not compatible with any of the structures taught in school or expected in corporate workspaces, we are the ones to find the things that need to be modified and experience them so intensely that we find the drive within ourselves to make that change. I'm doing that now by sharing my perspective on mental health, spirituality, trauma recovery, the evolution of human consciousness, and so much more through the podcasts, my albums, and other projects to come. So practicing a habit of switching from tasks that require cognitive function to one that doesn't allows me to maintain projects that require extended amounts of cognitive functioning for more hours of a day or more times throughout the week. I personally do this by stopping to freestyle dance or sing as a form of stimming every hour and a half or two hours, sometimes more if I'm really hyperfixated, um, of writing, give or take. Then I refresh my food and beverage and refresh my timer or video. I use the restroom and sometimes even find a new location to work, which is yet another helpful tool that many with ADHD utilize is moving environments. The second facet of ADHD that I addressed was hyperfixation. All I could really do with this was allow myself to do it. I realized that most of my work is done in bursts where I sit and write and or film for hours straight. Constantly sticking to a routine where I make a little progress in all areas isn't always sustainable. Often I'll spend a couple days online or just genuinely receiving downloads from media as I do, Um, you know spiritual shit, Um, eating whatever and being what people would call lazy, despite there being no discernible human trait of laziness independent of a mental condition such as ADHD and many others. Um, And then spend a few days where I'm working out and meditating and journaling and drinking smoothies and getting out of the house and writing and filming things. While of course I feel the best doing the latter, I can actually feel burnt out if I maintain that for too long. 
I am now more focused on finding a balance where I don't have to bounce back and forth between the extremes. Maybe I took a long hike instead of doing a more intense workout because I needed some nature, or I had a smoothie yesterday but a donut today. I find that acting in alignment and in flow with the body is not only the most authentic and spiritually aligned way to live, but even more natural of a way of being, especially for neurodivergence, but absolutely essential for us as well. It's common for those with ADHD to be the most efficient or just good at their job. But it's the use of a process that works for our minds, and when we are asked to do things different or a seemingly easier way by the higher-ups, we are uncomfortable and often stop working, mess up, stumble, and find it difficult to articulate why it doesn't work for us. If you don't want your best worker to quit, don't tell them how to do their job. This can also be seen in nagging children to do their chores. We have a list of tasks that we can prioritize by what needs to be accomplished the most and by what we desire or care about the most, but the overwhelming quantity of this list and the fact that we perceive them as having equal overwhelming needs of force to initiate paralyzes our actions. Do not nag anyone with ADHD. There is a stubbornness in our mind that we cannot control. If you let us go through our dissociation, our low energy, our procrastination, our distractions, our creative processes, we will get it done better than you could have imagined. But the thing you can do for your neurodivergent loved one or employee is to set a short deadline and leave them alone. Don't even mention it in passing. Just because we are doing something you perceive to be frivolous or unrelated instead does not mean that we do not deeply care about the work or that we have forgotten. It's simply how our minds work. Body doubling is another tool that many people with ADHD find helpful. It is the practice of someone sitting quietly in the room with you while you complete a task. Whether it requires cognitive functioning or it is a strictly physical task, this can still be helpful. It's important to not engage with us. If you are a loved one, it could be distracting and we may want to talk or do something else with you. And if you talk specifically about the task, anxiety and intrusive thoughts can cultivate. You can, however, establish a system where you are part of the reward. If your neurodivergent loved one sits and writes an essay for the hour while you read, then you can take them for ice cream and they can tell you all about that Marvel theory they came up with, for example. (laughs) So that's more of the primary things that I have learned about ADHD and how it affects me personally and how I can work with it. Instead of against it. I hope you've found this interesting, informative, or helpful in any manner. If you are neurodivergent, please have some grace and patience with yourself. Keep a log of all of your little wins. You are doing your best and no healthy person will ever ask any more of you. If you have a neurodivergent in your life, please learn about how it affects them personally and how you can have a more accommodating and mutually beneficial relationship with them. Be mindful that ADHD is a constant and overwhelming experience. Many are diagnosed later in life or have traumas to process before they can learn about their ADHD, so they may not know what is best for them. Open the conversation and be patient. 
As always, this has been my thoughts on some things. I'd love to hear your perspective. My name is Morgan Daly, and I am on most platforms. Be kind, be mindful, and have a good day on purpose. Thank you, guys. Bye.